Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Even losses feel like wins. When you're with your good friend Tim, it's 77 minutes in heaven. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast that brought coffee in a mug to a playoff game that started at noon. It's are you a new experience. Are you Josh Green? I'm not Josh Green. Josh Green got a French press, so he's just making espresso all over the place. You don't make French. You don't make espresso in a French press. I, I don't know why I said that. I'm, that that's insanely wrong. You sound like someone who's never drank coffee before. I never have. It's the first time. It's, it's why I'm a little, little buzzed. Anyway, I'm Tim Cato. We've got Austin Gurria. We're going to do a succinct, uh, quick game one reaction pod. That's what this is. The Mavericks lost 99-93. I think I'm feeling a little bit more pessimistic about the results of that game. Austin, is it fair to say that you're a little bit more optimistic about what happened? I'm optimistic in the defense and that I think they have the answers to the Jazz offense and I don't think the Jazz can really exploit their defense um I I'm optimistic if Luka plays in game three I think they can steal one game at home with some nice outlier shooting I think they can shoot a little bit better um and if Luka comes back in game three I just don't think this Jazz team can beat them three more times after that I think that's fair let's let's focus on defense first um uh, I will say briefly, like, I, I think a little reason why I'm feeling more pessimistic is I I am not feeling optimistic about Luka. Um, I don't know. It, and it's impossible to know. It, it really is a day-to-day injury because uh, literally what they're looking at is, like, how quickly is his scar tissue forming in the calf to replicate the strength that the calf had before the injury? I, I just worry that... Luca, and this is the right decision. They have said they're not going to let Luca back on the court if he's not 100%, or at, at minimum, if he's not going to be Luca. And he puts so much tension and strain on his calf uh, by just the way he plays that it just worries me that, that we're looking at game four, maybe game five. Again, I, I don't know this, and, and it, there's no way to know it. it. It is something that does change on a game to game basis, but it, it does worry me that, that Luca could probably be on the court for game two in terms of he could be out there running around. You know, I think, I think certainly by game three, you'd be able to be out there running around. I don't know if he can be Luca and I feel confident and I think it's the right decision that they're not going to let him on the court until he is anyway. um, I don't know. And and we're going to have to see. I thought the defense was really good. It's really hard to take away both threes and lob dunks from the jazz. And I don't think, there was a single alley-oop in that game from mm-hmm. Utah. Or, honestly, both ways. But, you know, Utah, that they're the number one offense in large part because they generate threes and dunks. 
There wasn't a lot of those. There was not a lot of that at all in that game. I think they they did a really great job at taking away three-point shots and running them off the line. I think Donovan Mitchell did a really great job of uh, taking away lob dunks from Rudy Gobert. <laughs> it's pretty pretty impressive for Rudy Gobert to only have one shot in an entire basketball game. I, I was it's able- weird. He he took one shot. I thought he was the best player on the court. He he erased the Mavericks offense. He was honestly he was incredible. He was sensational. I felt bad that I I was feeling bad that he wasn't getting the ball because he would they would put Dorian on him. They would put Jalen on him. They would put Spencer on him, and the Jazz just did not even look at him one time to even give him a look at the basket, which was fine. The what I really was really encouraging to me is that every Jazz basket was difficult. There was there was a small blip in the middle of the third quarter where Donovan got hot for a little bit, but outside of that, every basket they had contested Bojan five footer, contested Bojan eight footer, contested Clarkson runner at at the rim. Everything was difficult. It was hard. Those guys are good. They're very talented offensive basketball players, and they can make hard shots. But they didn't let anyone get into a rhythm. They didn't let anyone get comfortable. If you're going to make shots, it's because you are a highly skilled offensive player. And that's why they only scored 99 points. They didn't, they didn't play well on offense. They were the number one offense in basketball for a long stretch of the season. And they only shot 22 threes. And they didn't hit very many of them. So keeping the Jazz to uh, the number of... Tw- threes that they shot and then a low percentage and then also taking away layups and open dunks that was really impressive i was really impressed by them and it seemed replicable it didn't seem like a fluke it didn't seem like they did something gimmicky it seemed like they had a really sound game plan for what the jazz were doing i mostly agree with that um i I think the 99 points is slightly misleading there's only 90 possessions in this game uh 91 for utah 90 for dallas that's Dallas was the slowest team in the regular season. Utah, I, th- I think, was second, uh, the, sec- the second fewest uh, in terms of pace or second lowest in terms of pace. Do they count offensive rebounds? If you get a possession, you shoot it, and you get an offensive re- Is that a second possession, or is that the same possession? It's the same possession, to my understanding. So they had so many offensive rebounds. Right. I think that's really right. what right. boosted their uh, efficiency. I, because I did feel like Dallas was trying to push it at times. I don't think they did it enough, but yeah. I, I think when they did push it, it was very effective. Uh, I think that could be something that, that Dallas tries to do more in the second game. But it's also hard to look at a team or, or take a team that, you know, so Luka is, is incentivized to really slow down the tempo. He is a mastro in the pick and roll. He's a mastro of half court offense. He's not one to really throw, uh, you know, go ahead passes. And even when he's not on the court, it's hard to change the mentality of a basketball team to where they are at all times pushing. I thought they did it in the first quarter. Dorian Finney-Smith led a break that mm-hmm. I believe led to a, a three-point look. Um, I forget whether they made it or not. But, um, you know, I, I thought that was that was something that they tried to do in the first quarter and they kind of went away from. So those 90 possessions, that's about five less than even the Mavericks average this season. So it was a very low possession game. Uh, you know, the offensive rating for Utah was still 110. Now that's amped up a little bit by the, the free throws at the end. Uh, I don't have the cleaning the glass number off the top of my head, um, you know, and, and that's that's something that kind of factors out, you know, possessions like that at the end of the game. Utah was still good defense, uh, you know, offensively, but but it's important to limit them to 22 shots when they average 40. It's important to take away the lob dunks. I, I agree that they made a bunch of tough shots. Bogdanovich can do that. Um, you know, it, it's not like I don't think he had an outlier performance necessarily, although it was definitely like. One of his, you know, he was he was he, above average. He performed like in the eighty-five percentile of his ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would maybe even go a touch lower based off the shots he was getting. But but yeah, no, I think that's fair. 
Um, it, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of I have, I have a lot of thoughts in the game. I'm trying to focus them into a, a podcast format. Um, what what did what did you think about the Mavericks really cycling through a bunch of center options? Um, like a lot of lineups with a lot of different centers. Sometimes two big men. I think once in the first half they went through big men with uh, Bertans, Pal, and Maxi, which for two minutes was actually plus five. It which actually worked. I don't know how sustainable that is. Uh, but they ended up with Maxi. They ended up with Maxi at the end of the game, and I think that was a right choice down the stretch in the in crunch time. Actually, I like what Kid did with his rotations. He was pretty quick with the uh, with the hook for the five man. He was looking for different options, different solutions. And, and I, I think that that's a big reason why Utah wasn't get, able to get in an offensive rhythm. Yeah, because constantly they were dealing with okay, the way they play against Powell is different than the way they play against Maxi. Is the different than the way they play against Bertons. Yeah, you had to be very alert. Also, Quinn Snyder was very strange with his first half rotation. He pulled Gobert pretty early and sat him for quite some time, and I think that gave the Mavericks some time to kind of get comfortable because they played against Whiteside for a, a much longer stretch than I thought they would have. I agree. Um, and I think Bertons was actually much more effective than even... I mean, I was bullish on Bertons for this for this series. He, there were times I was like, they, they just need to play him. They need, to, they need his spacing. They need... The Jazz guarded him like they didn't guard any other player. They were basically face guarding him at the three-point line. And so he created a lot of spacing, and his movement created a lot of spacing. And he wasn't horrendous on defense. He was passable. It, it stuck out still. Donovan got him a few times on a switch. But he felt impactful in a way that I did not anticipate. To, to, to the point I just said, I, I think if you leave Bertans on the court for longer stretches than three or four minutes at a time, I think that's when Utah gets really comfortable pulling him into a pick and roll every single time. Yeah. And if Bertans is on the court, you're going to switch or you're going to blitz. Blitzing, obviously, will lead to threes because Utah is that good at ball movement. So they're trying not to blitz the ball handler. But if you switch, that's going to leave Bertans on Donovan. And Donovan did cook him a couple times yeah. in the third quarter um, by, by getting that switch. So I, I, I you know, I, I even tweeted in, in the second half at some point. I, I think you tweeted at halftime. I, I, I saw that, that it might be a Bertons, uh, like a Bertons half. I, I think after seeing the second half, like, it does have to be bursts of Bertons. Otherwise, Utah will get very comfortable mismatching and attacking him. I, I think... Another downside of Luka not being on the floor is they missed him defensively in this game. And now Bojan was able to post up Spencer and post up Brunson. And I think that was their most dangerous offensive action that they had because the Mavs constantly had to double and then ascend two. And it caused a lot of confusion in the rotations. And that's when they started giving up a few open threes. And with Luka, Bojan can't just post up, post him up. He has to at least take him off the dribble, put him in a pick and roll, and he can't just get comfortable and there's not an immediate double and there's not as much rotation. Um, and so I I think if Luka can come back by game three, I think Bertans is a little more playable than he was with having two smaller guards out there. I did have an interesting conversation with David Locke. Um, that is the man of the Locked On Network, so I'm, I'm sure you are aware of him. He was telling me that in the two regular season games that Utah was largely healthy and Luka played, so that was the second and third game in the regular season series, Utah emphasized, and this is definitely true, they made a point of getting Luka into pick and rolls, and they averaged like 1.4 points per possession when Luka was involved in pick and rolls, and he was involved in almost 50 over two games. That's a lot of pick and rolls to get one player involved into. 
Um, especially a ball handler. Yeah. And, and especially when Luca always, you know, tries to hide out on, on the weakest defensive player. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, Dallas needs Luca back clearly objectively. It is a good thing for them, but it was interesting that I think Locke was right in the sense that Utah didn't have a specific player to attack. Like they would have, I, I thought they would have had more success with Spencer, uh, you know, getting Dinwiddie and Brunson into pick and rolls. And they really didn't. And Brunson's a really good team defender. He's, he's really smart and sharp at what he does, where he moves on the court. Um, the problem is, and I think one reason that Dinwiddie might have only played 36 minutes, is to make sure he was fresh and able able to be the defensive factor, like making the smart reads. I, I think that if he's someone who gets who tires out a little bit, you really see his defense fall. And the problem with that is that when Brunson only plays 41 minutes and Dinwiddie only plays 36 the Mavericks were left for 20 minutes with only one guard on the floor, and they lost that by seven points. Uh, I, I don't know how to fix the lineups where only one guard is on the floor. I, I don't trust any other guard to come in and, and sub them in those opportunities. It, it's really just going to be Brunson and Dinwiddie until Luka comes back, and either you play them more and you risk uh, defensive fatigue and the Jazz being able to attack that more, or... The alternative is is you know you play them like you did and you risk getting cooked in the one guard lineups. It's unfortunate that Nilakina had his tonsils taken out because I think there would have been moments from in this. In he, this he's game. the one player that I would have trusted. Yeah, yeah, and I think they could have at least tried him and and they had to try draw screen a lot and he misses open threes. I thought he was better in the one guard lineups than he was in the two guard lineups and where he they couldn't just leave him. Um, I think he did a good job of subbing in Powell, which this is the one time this season I think it was good to sub in Dwight Powell while Josh Green was on the floor and that Gobert had to guard Powell and couldn't guard Josh Green anymore. And that was one of the only effective lines that he was in. That's interesting. Yeah, for that this makes game. sense to me. And it was a really good adjustment by Kid because they needed, Josh Green's the only other person who can play make and make plays off the dribble right. to some effect. And he was, he was really good defensively. I feel bad that he missed the open shots that he had because he had so many good looks because he was effective and impactful defensively and allows him to get in transition. Also, if he plays with Bertons, he's really good at getting Bertons open looks. I don't really think anyone else, honestly, I don't think Brunson and Spencer are good at getting uh, Bertons open looks. I actually thought that was one thing they didn't do well today is that Bertons played so many minutes and he had three shots and he didn't get a single open look. He didn't get one. The one shot he hit was like a contested, like falling away three pointer. And I don't think they did a good enough job in putting Bertons in actions and running him off pin downs and getting him clean looks. Cause I think that's one of their better high upside strategies is that is getting him lots of threes. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. Like, inherently, you would think that playing uh, Powell and Josh Green would just put two non-shooters on the court. Yeah. I, I think I think you, you know, I, I'm going to, I'll look at this Sunday and, and kind of, you know, review film and stuff. But the idea that Josh Green is just going to be better when guarded by a perimeter player rather than guarded in, in the way that he was when uh, Gobert was on there is, is interesting. What did you think of uh, Brunson's game overall? Uh, because he was the guy who took most of the offensive load. Uh, took 24 shots, which was, you know, the most on the floor other than uh, Mitchell, who shot 10 of 29. They were, they were, ha- they were having a shoot-off in that game, yeah. and it was, it was yeah. not. <laughs> I thought he kind of played Mitchell almost to a draw. 
they weren't neither right. of them were particularly offensive or particularly efficient right. um i thought he was a little unlucky in the first quarter he got really a lot of really good looks that were just that went in and out and it kind of dropped his efficiency. i mean i've been hearing people saying like oh brunson needs to be better i, I brunson cannot replicate what luca does no. and and basically he was being asked to do that and he's not a high volume score i thought in the right. first half he was really great and he got unlucky i thought in the second half he did get, he did struggle a little bit to create his own shot. He took some bad shots and he had some bad possessions that I, that affected them. I thought his worst moment was uh, there. There was a weird inst- instance in the fourth quarter where um, uh, uh, Hassan Whiteside comes on the floor and obviously with Hassan Whiteside and, and then and then Jason Kidd smartly immediately puts David uh, Davis Bertans in David David Bertans. And uh, Amer- American Bertons is David Bertons. Absolutely. Um, Bernard. David Bernard. <laughs> he, he instantly puts him in, and that sets you up to go five out to make them to make the jazz switch and to get someone isolated on Whiteside. And instead of doing that, Jalen Brunson immediately, like 18 seconds on the shot clock, drives. Uh, out of not an advantageous situation, ends up with a really contested, maybe 10 or 11 foot baseline jumper. You can't do that. When you have, like playoff basketball comes down to possessions, to individual single possessions where you can get one mismatch. I thought thought that was his worst moment. He should have immediately pulled the ball out, pull whoever Whiteside is guarding into the pick and roll, get the switch onto Whiteside, um, if Whiteside is able to like shuffle off onto someone else, on, onto Dinwiddie, who would be the other player up in the backcourt with him, you get the ball to Dinwiddie. Like that has to happen there, and and Brunson misses that shot, and, and I thought that was you know not, no single possession is a is a is a turning point. I, I really I'm not a big uh, momentum guy, honestly, but I'm a big when you have a mismatch, you got to take it, and I thought that was disappointing that Brunson you know just didn't see or uh, got got you know too too uh too focused on what he saw as a mismatch uh which didn't turn into one when you just got to run the possession that's why Bertans went into the game yeah it was honestly because I was at the game and I was sitting on the side where um where people check in and seeing Bertans check in and after Gobert had checked out and Quinn Snyder immediately tried to put Gobert right back into the right. game and a referee just was like, no, you can't just sub one back, someone someone back in right when you sub them out. And it was a very funny chess match. So I thought that was about to be a very great advantageous possession for them. And then Brunson had a probably his worst possession of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Um, let's, let's close here. I mean, there's, there's a bunch more things we can talk about, but it's a Saturday early evening podcast. Can we discuss a noontime start? At home, well, I was what, just going to ask, what did you think of the American Airlines Center as someone who was actually there as a as a fan? As someone cheering? who has never attended a noon basketball game, I'm not sure when the last noon basketball game was at the American Airlines Center. It's probably been so. I was on. Uh, I, I did a podcast with Studio 41, mm-hmm. and uh, one it was it was four panelists. One of them was Chuck Cooperstein. He says it hasn't happened since 2009. I, that's what I was going to. I was like, I don't, I can't remember years. a single time that there has been a yeah. home game at the American. It was weird. I, I've been to a lot of basketball games. It felt very strange to wake up at like 10 o'clock, try to get a, a little drunk for the game and <laughs> go into a game at noon. I thought... It sounds like you weren't even successful. You had I was, one Bloody I was, Mary? Yeah, I had one Bloody Mary. I had to go to brunch. I was, you can't get drunk before noon. That that feels unholy. It's Easter weekend. <laughs> 
And so I thought the crowd was a little flat, but also there's not been a noon game at home in 13 years. So I don't think anyone knew. Also, it was humid outside. It was not a pleasant morning. It was not great to to get into the arena. So I thought it was, I thought the crowd was good early on. And then it was just kind of a normal playoff crowd during the game. I thought the crowd was good towards the end of the game. But I think I understand now why teams just blow games in the middle of the day. It's, it really throws off your rhythm, like attending a basketball game at noon. I mean, it, it, it threw off your rhythm as a, as a fan, as a person. A yeah. yeah. I was just like, I, I don't have the energy for this game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. If you're the optimist, how do the Mavs win game two without Luca? I, I don't think there's any scenario where Luca plays. I'm sorry. Um, oh yeah. I don't, I don't think Luke, I honestly, I think it would be irresponsible for him to play in game two, especially again, again, when, when they don't play again until Friday. And again, it's, it's like, it's not a matter of whether he can run up and down the court. It's a matter of whether his playing style works with the injury that he has, whether it's healed enough. I, I don't think it, my concern is that he gets, he re-injures it. He, he goes, right. he goes back in and he tweaks it. Then he's done. And, and I don't think there's any scenario where like, like people have talked about, uh, Kevin Durant and, and the idea that he had a calf strain and turned into an Achilles. Uh, to my understanding, that's not the worry here. Yeah. But again, you don't want to put... his was more severe. His was more severe. It was also lower down the leg. Yeah. Luke is further up the leg. And, and so it's not it's not impacting the connection of the muscle between the the Achilles and the calf. Anyway, I'm not a doctor. So I, I, I just tried to pretend one when I interviewed one. Um, it's a very amorphous injury. It's right, really, You right. really have to be like... It's one of those you have to be the person or the person treating it to really right. know and what's again, going and, on. And, and truly, like I, I've, I've made a point uh, in the past few years not to pretend like I know. Um, this will ultimately be a medical staff decision. And as Jeff Stotts, when I interviewed him, said, the Mavericks have one of the best medical staffs out there, just point blank. So yeah. if he's not on the court, it's it means he should not be on the court. And if he's on the court, it means that he is is at the small enough injury risk uh because again you come back from an injury you're gonna have some re-injury risk it's gonna be a little bit bigger than than it would be in another situation but if he's on the court then i trust that he is ready and able and that the the odds are in his favor to to be on the court um but yeah how did the Mavs win game two they have to hit off the dribble threes Spencer did what he's had. He went 0 4 from 3 today. He needs to hit a, a few of those step backs. Jalen Brunson, I thought there were times today where he got switches and the Jazz were slow to switch the defender on him and he didn't pull the trigger. He's been slow at that all season. This is this is the time he needs to he needs to shoot threes. He needs as many threes as possible. The Reggie Bullock also it, it's it's shot making. They need to they they have it solved on the defensive end. Their their defensive game plan and their ability to execute, they can hold the Jazz to a, a reasonable amount of points. They need to make outside shots. And I thought, honestly, I was really happy for Maxi and that he made a big three today and he got to shoot some free throws. And I think his confidence is back to a at least standard level. It sucks that he missed that three to go ahead, but at least he hit a big shot today and he hit some big free throws. Dorian, I just, I have a thousand percent confidence in Dorian. He's just going to hit threes all the time. Um, and if they can get Bertons loose for a few threes, I think that's really going to really push them forward but it's all about shot making they need to have an outlier shot making game um to make up for luga because they're not going to get it at the rim I, I there's not a solve for finishing around gobert finishing getting the white power to finish layups around Gobert. But I, I don't think there's a real good solve for that it's just it's going to be pure shot making i should have gone first because i hate ending on a slightly more pessimistic take um I, I think that uh, the Jazz being able to see all these various center looks and having a better idea going into game two exactly what 
they need to do when each center is on the court, when each lineup, you know, which uh, variation of different lineups are on the court. I think they're going to have a better idea about how to attack them and to just be militant about attacking them. That said, it's still Utah, and I think Utah Utah'sness is one of the reasons they were that this at, was a close game. They almost gave that away. Like yeah. they really shouldn't have, and they were asking to give that yeah. game away down the stretch. It, it is it is it is absurd that they had. They gave Dallas six straight points off um, off-ball fouls. Off of dumb fouls. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a close game in the final f- few minutes if they don't do that. I it, wouldn't feel not. good if I, was, if I was a Utah yeah. fan. I would not feel good. Right. I would be like, we won, but that game would not make me have a lot of fuzzy feelings as if right. this is going to be right. Right. a series we're going to run away with. Yeah, I, You I could think, see their demons coming back to, to haunt them down the stretch. Yeah, that, that, was, that was an absurd uh, series of reactions and fouls that they committed that just... There's no, there's no reason for that. If Max hits that three and Russell doesn't hit that sidestep three at the end and they his, lose, his only shot of the game, his only shot of the game, and Rudy Gobert loses a game where he gets one shot, that team would be in absolute disarray right now. It was, yeah. it was very close down the stretch, and that's also another reason why I still think there's a chance for them, especially at home, for them to have an outlier game because this team is fragile, and at some point things can break. But I, to your point. Them having a look at all those center looks, that's why I thought game one was a game to win because kicking through all these different pitches and they don't have the tape to really review it. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, we're going to wrap here. Uh, we're going to record after uh, game two. I think it'll be my, uh, me and Mike Pellucci. Uh, maybe we'll bring in an Austin or another special guest. Uh, but but we will record after that. Um, I, I think there's cliche of the century, but uh, that's a that's a pretty important game. Um, I don't expect Luca to play, and if Luca at best is only returning Game Three, and he, he comes back to a series that's zero uh, and two, that's not great. So uh, I, I think it's important for the Mavericks to to come out and, and figure some solutions, and, and and just have the ability to at least be competitive for forty eight minutes and get to a point where they can maybe win it if Maxi hits a three and Rosso Neal doesn't. So I, I think it's possible. You know, I'm not ruling them out, but I think I think that's the key. So. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. You plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick dungeon from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the Future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Oh! Shut it down! Oh Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug! Man, that is a wrap. <laughs> Woo!